The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, so many times when we open your word privately or in a series like this, your, the timeliness of your word is, can be uncanny, and it just seems like you, you speak right into our moment, and this text seems like one of those, given the, the fact of our, of our um, the resignations of three of our pastoral uh, elders, and uh, just where we are, this, this text I pray it gives us perspective, and I pray it gives us hope and grounding. So thank you again for your word. Bless this people now. Grant me grace to open it up with faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Brian Tabb, one of our elders, preached on the council at Jerusalem from Acts 15, and in that council, the, the theological clarity and, and practical implications of the gospel were so clear that, that uh, I expect the, the next phase that we're going to read about in Acts is this explosion of gospel ministry. And so at, at the council, what became clear is that God saves Jewish people in, I say it the other way, God saves Gentiles in the same way he saves Jewish people, namely, not by the Gentiles becoming Jewish in their religious practices, but merely by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. And therefore, it kicks open the door for the gospel to go to all peoples. And, and, uh, and Brian ended with this uh, great implication of the gospel being for all people. Here, I'm going to read it from his manuscript. He said, and, and this is an implication from the reality of the gospel for all peoples in Jesus Christ alone by God's grace through faith. Brian said, only this gospel of grace can bring us together and bind us together in love as one people committed to one glorious mission. Amen. One people um, no partiality. This is the ground of ethnic harmony in the church. This is the, the ground of global missions. Um, and this is the unity that we have as the people of Christ. So Acts 15 is, is beautiful and glorious. And, and again, I just expect to turn the page and see this mobilization for, for world missions, and what I see instead is Paul and Barnabas immediately have a sharp dispute. <laughs> Come on. No. No. No, no, no. <sighs> so what I'm going to do is uh, I, I just broke up our text into, into three, they're almost like chapters, uh, scenes. Um, number one, an old partnership Ends. Acts 14, 36 through 39. Second chapter, if you will. A new partnership begins. Acts 14, 40 through 15, 5. 
And thirdly, a new direction is given. Acts 15, 6 through 10. So an old partnership ends, a new partnership begins, and a new direction is given. We'll take them one at a time. Number one, an old partnership ends. You know, in the, in the biblical accounts of Paul's first missionary journey, there's no hint of any conflict between Paul and Barnabas. To the contrary, they seem like ideal partners. You know, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, and the Apostle Paul, this theological heavyweight who's willing, when necessary, to use the God-given authority that he's been charged with for the sake of the church to speak forcefully when needed. Paul and Barnabas. Um, <laughs> truth. We, we, at times we've had conflicts at Bethlehem where we've, and we've said things like, we just need to get the truth boys in line with the love boys and then they, you know, we can work this out. <laughs> so if you say Barnabas is a love boy, Paul is a truth boy, and together they're a perfect team. Kind of like you know, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson or Batman and Robin or peanut butter and jelly, whatever it is, they're just a great team. You know, forged by, you know, I think about how Barnabas put his arm around Paul when he first was converted as a Pharisee and welcomed in, into the church. And then, and then their, their partnership grounded on that first missionary journey as they, they spoke the gospel and suffered together for it. But when Paul proposed that it was time to go back to the churches that were established or planted on the first missionary journey. Hey, Barnabas, let's, let's go back. Barnabas expressed his desire to take with them John Mark. And Paul strongly disagreed. Verse 38. Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in, in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Now, John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, so immediately it feels personal to me. That word sharp dispute is a strong word. In Acts 17, it describes the reaction inside of Paul when he arrived in Athens and saw the city filled with idols. <clears throat> this, this thing landed on him. That's which it communicates. It's actually used of the wrath of God. The word in the original communicates anger, irritation, exasperation. So the disagreement is intense. What's the disagreement about? Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him as he joins Paul on the second missionary journey. And we know from Acts, John Mark set out on that first missionary journey. He was with them on their way into Antioch. He was with them at Antioch. He was with them on the way out of Antioch. And then... Acts 13, 13 notes, Now Paul 
This is on the first missionary journey. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, this is John Mark, and John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Why did John Mark leave? Doesn't say. Paul viewed that so negatively that he saw John Mark as disqualified for the second journey. I don't know. Maybe Paul's thinking, your cousin is such a quitter, I cannot bring him back on my team. Or maybe Paul is thinking, he is so fearful, he will shut us down. The dispute ended with separation. Barnabas and John Mark sailed to Cyprus, presumably to check on the church there that Paul and Barnabas had, had uh, started on the first missionary journey. And verse 40 says, Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So there you see the end of the partnership. You know, my reading, my, my reaction in just thinking about this for the last week or two, just, this does not seem possible. But it is. And we know it. Was it relational? I think so. Because of the personal peace for Barnabas. Was it doctrinal? I want to say, no, it wasn't. There is no verse in the Bible that would answer the question, should we bring John Mark? It was a wisdom call. What's the best thing? What does God want us to do in this particular mission with forming this particular team? Who should be on it? How should we do this? Barnabas saw it one way, and Paul saw it another. Hence the sharp dispute between two spirit-filled, gifted, godly men. The World Evangelical Alliance conducted a significant study a few years ago, finding that the number one reason missionaries leave the field, depart from their teams, was, quote, conflict with peers. Huh. (laughs) It makes me wonder, since we use Paul's epistles to help resolve conflict among Christians in the church, among pastor elder teams. Would it have been different if Paul and Barnabas would have received the letters to Philippians and and Romans and Corinthians and and, uh, Colossians? Would it have been different? I mean, think about, I mean, I get to do this because I oversee the church folks. When I see a conflict, I bring in Paul. 
Maybe these things that he writes later are in the back of his mind and shaping not only this conflict so that it doesn't go as bad as it could have. And maybe this conflict is in his mind when he writes these things later to the Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. To the Romans, so then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. To the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. I don't know if this practical theology was at work in their conflict, but I believe it was. Because I do know the conflict could have been much worse. Either Paul or Barnabas could have in bitterness poisoned the minds of the people of the church. I use that word poison on purpose because that's the word used back in Acts 13 to what happened to Paul and Barnabas. <sighs> Enemies of the gospel came from Myconium and, and uh, the crowd is about to worship Paul and Barnabas. You remember this from a few weeks ago? The crowd is about to worship Paul and Barnabas. They think they're great. These uh, enemies of the gospel come in from Iconium and they poison the minds of the crowd. So what happens? The crowd stones them. This is when Paul's dragged out of town half dead. Paul and Barnabas could have thought, you know, I could, I could say a few things. Get even with Paul or Barnabas. And, but they didn't. There's no evidence that they did. Or Paul or Barnabas could have talked to other people in their dispute in order to vindicate themselves. Paul is such a harsh guy. There's, there's no love in him at all. <laughs> How about this? 
Barnabas is such a big, mushy heart. You know, he he just cave in at any whim or desire. He doesn't care at all about the mission or truth. He just, love, love, love. (laughs) They They didn't do that. There's no indication that they did that. But they worked it out. Um... And true, the, the dynamic duo of Paul and Barnabas did split up. But the church didn't. When I, when I graduated from seminary, I was asked this question in an exit interview. And I haven't forgotten the question, and I use it when I assess church planters and I uh, want to go back and try to help them. Here's the question. You might want to ask it yourself. Um, so this counselor-like person said, how do you respond when you don't get your way? Hmm. That's an interesting question. How do I respond when I don't get my way? Why, why did he ask me that question? heading into pastoral ministry and church life? Well, because if you're going to work in the church, it's probably true if you're going to work anywhere, but if you're going to work in the church and be a a church leader, there are an awful lot of times when you're not going to get your way. How are you going to respond? It was a great question. Well, why is not getting your way so inevitable in pastoral ministry, in church life, I could say in marriage? You know, it, it, it maps into all kinds of relationships. Well, let me stick with, with ministry relationships. Well, why is it so inevitable not to get your way if you're a, some kind of a leader in the church? Well, because... In the church, the people of the church, you know, granted, we have all of our differences of, of who we are and our backgrounds and our, our cultures and our preferences and our different stories and our likes and wants and desires. All that stuff is different, but we have two, two massive things in common that you can count on. One, our union with Adam, and number two, our union with Christ. The union with Adam is evidenced by what theologians call indwelling sin. Namely, the ongoing presence of sin within each and every one of us that we're called to put to death by the Spirit daily. And the union with Christ is evidenced by love for Jesus, our faith in him, our satisfaction in him, the presence of the Holy Spirit, our hunger for God, the fight of faith to be killing sin, lest sin be killing us. So these two realities are given in the church. You know that, Adam? Triumphed or trumped by the union with Christ. 
So the union with Adam condemns us as sinners, tainting every aspect, our act, our acts, our attitudes, even our state. And then the union with Christ redeems us from the union with Adam and bringing about restoration and and redemption, reconciling us to God, justifying us by faith, uh, forgiving us all our sins, uniting us with, with God forever, sanctifying us day by day by day until the day we're glorified when we go look at Jesus face to face in the new heavens and the new earth. And uh, as we await the day, we are called to live out the union with Christ as God gives us grace in the, in the journey until the journey is completed. He who began a good work in us will bring it on to completion at the day of Christ. And so part of that outworking is the relational graces that God calls us to. Loving one another as God has loved us in Christ, being merciful to one another as God has shown mercy to us in Christ, forgiving one another as God has forgiven us in Christ, bearing with one another as God has been patient with us in Christ. The Bible has a lot to say about conflict, about relationships. And if we take it seriously, I don't know how you can come away from the Bible without saying we have a lot to learn about how to do relationships in conflict. And probably Paul and Barnabas do too. Yet they're helping us a lot. Just one more note. Uh, From this point on, Barnabas basically drops out of Old Test or excuse me, of New Testament history. Heading out to strengthen the church in Cyprus with his cousin John Mark. But here I'm, I'm this is just an encouraging little historical footnote. You probably know this. John Mark doesn't disappear. John Mark shows up as the scribe for both of Paul's letters to, the, to Thessalonica. And then at, at the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says to Timothy, get Mark, get John Mark. Bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Isn't that beautiful? It, it looks like... It looks hopeless for reconciliation. Sharp dispute. That guy is not coming with me. (laughs) And then what do you see? Yeah, we don't know the details. Growth in grace, change of ad, whatever. But John Mark and Paul are laboring together. And even to the point at the end of Paul's life, he says, send John Mark. I need him. I need him. Very hopeful for reconciliation after conflict, is it not? Yeah. Section number two. 
spend less time on the second two, on the next two. A new partnership begins. So after the dispute with Barnabas, Paul chose a new companion, Silas, in Acts 14.40 and set out on the second missionary journey with a renewed commission from the church. And Silas brings the advantage that he's uh, a Gentile. He's a Roman citizen, and so they're going to do the mission to the Gentiles. It's very fitting. And then on the journey, it was at, at Lystra, the very place Paul had been stoned on the first journey that Paul met Timothy. So we, so we have Paul and we have Silas, and now they meet Timothy. I'm calling that a new partnership begins. Timothy is, verse 1, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And without delay, at the outset of the journey, Paul, it seems, is in the mode of rebuilding the new gospel team in the aftermath of the conflict, and he sees Timothy as the right person to join the team. Timothy's a believer. Uh, his, we know from elsewhere, his, his mother and grandmother raised him in the gospel, and he has a good reputation, such that not only he has a good reputation in his town, but also uh, from the, the church in a neighboring town. And although his mother was Jewish, we know that because his father was, well, we know he was not circumcised, probably because his father was a Gentile. So, so that's his situation. And what happens next might seem shocking because of the Jerusalem council that we looked at last week. I'll, I'll read it. Um, verse 3, Paul took Timothy and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So we know. I thought the Jerusalem council did away with observing the, the Jewish law for salvation. And then now, Paul, wait a minute, Paul, what are you doing here? Um, was Paul inconsistent? No. Remember at the council, the decision was that the Gentiles need not be circumcised to be saved. Gentiles need not become Jewish in order to be saved, but the decision of the council was not to say that Jewish men could not be circumcised. In fact, since it was Paul's routine practice to go into the Jewish synagogue when he arrived in a town, uh, it would be a, a ministry obstacle to be bringing this uncircumcised Jewish man, Timothy, with him. So, so Paul has, has, has Timothy circumcised, and it's not for salvation. It's for mission. Remember elsewhere he says, to the Jews I've become a Jew, to the Greeks I've become a Greek. And it's interesting that Titus, uh, Titus is a Gentile, and Paul fights in Galatians and, and 1 Corinthians. Titus isn't getting circumcised. No way. So I think he's consistent when you hold the pieces together. 
Titus is a Gentile. He's free from the law. And yet, for the sake of the mission, Timothy, let's have you circumcised so as not to be a stumbling block to the Jews. The journey resumed, and on their way they went. Verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem from the council. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. You just see the gospel mission goes on. I mean, how many times do we hear that drumbeat in Acts? The word of God is spreading. It's going forward. Nothing's going to stop it. I kind of pushed back at this point and thought, okay, what kind of applications and implications come to mind? Ministry partnerships are a really special thing. They're a sweet thing. They're a gift from God. And over the decades here at Bethlehem, we have enjoyed many ministry partnerships, both on the pastoral staff and among the elders and among the congregation and the people. We've had probably a countless beautiful ministry partnerships and yet in the course of I thought about it I've, I've, I've watched Bethlehem for five decades <laughs> I'm getting old here I mean I've touched five decades we've seen many partnerships over that time come to an end for various reasons, including a, a, a new sense of calling or maybe different ministry convictions, even relational conflict. And, and I say that I mean, I, I've seen many ministry partnerships come to an end, and you probably have too. And I say that not to promote a callousness when partnerships dissolve or end, but rather perspective. Perspective. My inclination from this text is not to take our partnerships for granted, but to, number one, enjoy them with thankfulness, knowing that they might not last forever. And number two, let's do all that we can in love and truth to cultivate our partnerships, that they might last and be durable and they might be strong. And when ministry partnerships come to an end, let's find a way, like Paul and Barnabas, to to dissolve the partnerships in the most God-glorifying and truthful and loving way. Celebrating the, the years and moments of grace the collaboration and the the work of God, the fellowship, the mutual encouragement that was given through the partnership and appropriately, rightly, grieving the, the loss that comes from the end. Third chapter, third unit. A new direction is given So now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy departed from Antioch, Syria, heading, uh, excuse me, 
uh, Paul and Silas departed for Antioch, Syria, picked up Timothy, and now they're, 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 they kind of come along the, if you, you can imagine the Mediterranean Sea, they're coming, coming from east to west along sort of the southern part of Turkey there. And uh, God stops them. I really like this passage. <laughs> I mean, right here, I, I have gone to this passage. God stops them. From what? From spreading the gospel the way they think they're going to spread the gospel. Uh, look at it. Uh, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And they, what in the world? So they headed west through what was called Asia, uh, modern-day Turkey, and the Holy Spirit prevented them from speaking the gospel. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it was clear. A sense, a providence, a word. I don't know. Don't speak the gospel there. They considered going north from Mycenae, but the Spirit of Jesus prevented them. <sighs> Same kind of thing. So they went slightly, slightly southwest to the city of Troas, and that's where the breakthrough came through. In verse 10, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, you may be uncertain about a decision or a direction in your life or, or ways a church might not be sure about which direction we should go. And we pray that God would lead us and... and uh, and when we pray for wisdom and direction, sometimes God says, no, not that way. It's not a non-answer. No, not that way. And, 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 and I, I think I, what I want to do, what I want to cultivate in me is, is that openness to see that as an answer. The Spirit of Jesus prevented. The Holy Spirit said, no, don't go that way. And then, you think about God's leading here. God gives Paul a vision for the direction that they should go. So you think about it, okay. So God's leading on this second missionary journey starts with relational separation. The partnership dissolves. Barnabas goes to Cyprus. Paul and Timothy and Titus go on their way. And then, so the team changes, and then these two closed doors, and then this vision of the man from Macedonia. Uh, I, I like this. Oh, I like this. Uh, verse 10 here now. So they've seen the vision, and, and verse 10 says, immediately we, why am I stopping? Luke, the author of Acts, has just jumped in to the story the we passages begin. I mean, he's been writing third person. 
Now, just pay attention to the voice now that you, you, you hear. So immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So now we see Luke is part of the team and concluding from the vision that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. One of the reasons I like this passage so much is that word concluding. Concluding. The word means like brought together, knit together. You know, you pray for wisdom and, and, and often God brings you pieces. <laughs> and, and so I like that word. Like, you know, God, God, lead us by your word and by the work of your spirit and, and by your providence, the open doors and the closed doors. Lead us with the counsel of brothers and, and grant that we might knit these things together and conclude what you're calling us to do. I like that word. Because more often than not, God's leading seems like it works like this in my life rather than boom, go there. <laughs> I thought about this. You know, when you ask for God's guidance and direction, are, are you praying for a map? You're praying for a map, Lord, Lord, give me a map. You know, I, I want to go there, and so just help me know which turns to make so that I could get there. Or even if you don't want to tell me exactly where that is, but could you give me the turns? Like I can go here, and then I'll do some ministry there, and then I go here. And just give me a map. And, and uh, you might be frustrated that God doesn't give you a map. But what if he gives you a, a direction like these? He, he closes a door, and he gives a, a sense of his spirit. What if, what if your father in heaven who won't give you a stone when you ask for bread, what if he gives you a compass and not a map? What if, what if he directs you? Uh, the image I get is very dependent, uh, like, like almost like a, a child holding his father's hand. What if he, what if he says, walk this way? Go this direction, and I'll unfold it for you. And you might find the Spirit of Jesus prevents you there, and you turn this way, and, and the Holy Spirit prevents you there, and then the way opens up. For me, I think I get more compass-like direction from God than map-like direction from God. A, a dependent, trusting God, step by step by step by step. Which way should I go? We saw that with Philip. Remember, Philip gets the instruction. Go to that intersection and stand there. <laughs> and the Ethiopian unit comes by. Well, so that's the third and final chapter. A new direction is given to this new team of Paul and Titus and Timothy and Luke. Well, we need to close. So, what do we see here? We see uh, in the work of the gospel, the mission of the gospel, sometimes old partnerships end. And may they end 
in ways that glorify God, in love and truth, and in ways that advance the mission and, and build the church. And we see that new partnerships begin. Let's praise God for the partnerships given and receive them with thankfulness and treat them with, with care and cultivation uh, to, to do all that we can to preserve the sweetness of the partnership, the labor together. And we see here new directions. Neither Paul nor Barnabas are paralyzed by this separation. No, two gospel planting teams are established. They go two separate ways, and, and God gives his guidance and blessing along the way for the glory of Christ and the advance of the gospel and the joy of all peoples. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for your word. Very timely, I think. Very helpful to me. Help, helpful to all. Thanks so much. Make it so, I pray. These things we've read about, about partnerships and love and truth and conflict and mission, bring it all together for the glory of your name. Again and again and again here at Bethlehem we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.